I, I sense evil too, because some jackass that I know didn't warn me that Jeremy was in my room. It slipped my mind, all right? I mean, I was going to get around to telling you, but then we started talking about the movie, and I forgot about it, and then the podcast was over. No, that still would have been nice to know. Hey, by the way, there was a serial killer, potentially, in your room, and that's the main reason why I left, because I didn't want that serial killer to follow me again. This is true, folks. Uh, Nick Arcana did mysteriously move back. He had changed. He had moved to a different state. He moved back mysteriously with no explanation other than some shit went down. And I thought it might be Jeremy. I wasn't sure, but I had some suspicions about it. I just hope you haven't brought him back here with you because that means my, my life is in physical danger, too. So I hope you didn't bring him back. I mean, there's only been one instance of seeing some random person in the yard, but I'm sure it's fine. Ah, oh, shit. I'm going to be running from Jeremy for the rest of our lives. I got to lock all the doors. I got to watch. I got to look in my rear view mirror when I'm driving, see who's behind me. Damn it, man. And, and soon you're going to be living by yourself. Anyways. So, folks, and in a turn of events that makes no sense, we're past, we're past Halloween season and we've decided to review the Halloween series. <laughs> Why did we do this so- back in September? I don't know. <laughs> Because somebody originally wanted to only do Halloween movies during the month of October. That is a good idea, but, you know, we were all over the place, and I was thinking about the idea of trying desperately to find a Thanksgiving-themed movie and then Christmas movies, and we've done Christmas movies the last last two years, I would say, right? So Especially last year, at least. Um, so we've done the major Christmas things, I'd say, so there wasn't, there's no big loss by not doing seasonal movies um we've done the big ones so it was like hey let's it's been a while since we've done the series i think the last series we did if i'm correct was friday the 13th we're reviewing one of your favorite series starting off with the original halloween that came out in 2008 directed by rob zombie what the hell man no folks before you hit the stop button this is not correct eventually what do you mean it's not correct well, we're not reviewing the Rob Zombie Halloween. We're doing the original Halloween from 1978. Did you oh, watch the wrong movie again? Yes. This time I can't blame you because there's 75 fucking movies called Halloween, <laughs> so I can't even blame you. I mean, if, sometimes when we do that, it's stupid. In my case, when I watched the wrong hunting movie because we were reviewing five different movies called The Hunted and The Hunter and The Hunting of Jimmy John Joseph, but... In this case, I don't blame you because there's way too many damn movies called Halloween, and it's really annoying. I know, right? It's just like uh, how, uh, the next one we're reviewing, Halloween 2. Again, directed by Rob Zombie. I mean, something you about s- Taylor... You son of a bitch. <laughs> Did you watch the wrong two movies? I hate your guts. Well, it's not my fault that it was called Halloween 2 as well. We Man. didn't exactly specify the year. Yeah. All right, well... Jokes aside, we're going to review all the movies in this series, even Rob Zombie's Halloween, and even Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. We'll eventually get to that as well. Going to go through the entire series, including Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Now, if you don't know, of course, we've already done the new series, the new trilogy, Halloween 2018, Halloween Kills, Halloween Ends. They're all in the archives. So if you're curious about how much we didn't like those movies, then go back and listen to those. They're on YouTube, of course, as well. Um, so those will not be a part of the series for now. We're just going to do the original, I want to say 10 movies. Um, 
and go from there. So there'll be some highs and lows, of course. We're going to go even through Halloween 5, Halloween Resurrection. We're going to do them all, Nick. I hope you're bracing, ready to go. This is going to be quite the interesting series retrospective. I think I quit at Halloween 5. Look, you're not allowed to quit at Halloween 5, all right? <laughs> Once we start this journey, we got to go through all the movies. There's no quitting, man. I mean, listen, this is not going to be as... I promise you, it's not going to be as bad as Children of the Corn would be, all right? It's not going to be as bad as the Hellraiser series would be. This one will... will even when we get some bad ones, we'll stumble upon good ones after that. So it's not going to be just one downhill slide. We shall see. Well... Thankfully, we're starting off on the good side of the series with the OG, directed by John Carpenter. John Carpenter, not Rob Zombie, from 1978, and featuring the birth of would become to be known as the most famous Scream Queen, I guess, which is Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, though you're about to say Sally Hardesty. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She's the very first. And the original is not always the most famous or not the, not the best, as we've seen with such examples as the Friday 13th series, where the first one is really middle of the pack, but some for some reason is considered a classic movie. It's a really mediocre movie. Not to uh, go off on the Friday 13th series, but and the fact that they're doing a prequel, I, I don't know why, but... Anyways. Because everyone was curious about Pamela Voorhees. And yeah. how she got the nepo- Necronomicon. This is true. Every Jason movie that I watch, I'm really more curious, not in Jason, but in Pamela Voorhees. So I really hope they spend seven seasons exploring that because, you know, I can't wait. So There's probably going to be 15 seasons, more likely. Oh, okay. So uh, there's only one show I know that did that, a show that's <laughs> a complete piece of trash, and that show would be... <laughs> at, well, you know, we don't have to get into that. We know what your favorite show is, so... Well, we know it's not a complete piece of trash. Uh, as you say. Now, I don't know, and I'll never know... Oh, you'll know. I'll, I'll know how the first season is because I have, I have committed, of course, given my word to Nick Arcana that I will at least try the first season of Supernatural. Being a man of my word, I will no doubt watch the first season, and then I will report back, and then we'll go from there. But there will never be fifteen seasons on the dock for Vicazim. Let me just say it right now. So, once he starts, he'll never stop. No, I'll never finish. <laughs> That'd be more appropriate. <laughs> Um, okay, so, Nick, I'm going to ask you a question, but it's a loaded question, because this movie is before both of us were born, right? Fair. Uh, you in the 90s, me in 2002, this is way before we were born, right? So Excuse me. <laughs> Wait, what, are you all right? What are you, being this is one of the older movies we've ever reviewed, can you trace back around the, the age range when you first saw the movie i'm guessing it was probably on tv because when i was growing up it would be on tv every halloween usually on the usa network or on amc but do you remember anything about it coming into your existence was it were you a young kid do you think so surprisingly halloween didn't actually come into my existence until i watched halloween three i actually didn't start watching halloween until halloween three I actually enjoyed the movie because I had no idea what to expect, and then they and then uh, the next Halloween came and it was actually playing all of them. Uh, I believe I was about eight when I first saw them, and all I could say was after I watched them, I just went, "Where was Michael in part three? You saw the third one first. 
Yeah. That's a very interesting experience. You know, a lot of the backlash against the third one was because people were expecting no, Michael. Michael. But so in your case, though, you didn't actually have that expectation then. So that's pretty interesting. Mm-mm. It's probably why I actually I've always liked the movie even now. I don't know. We'll we'll see if I still like it when we get to it next, like two weeks from now. Yeah, that's true. I've watched recently, but I'm going to withhold my thoughts until the actual podcast on that. But no, I just thought it was interesting. I, you're probably one of the very few people that um, started the series with part three. So that's an interesting experience. Um, I yeah, I just remember seeing it on TV. In fact, until maybe like until I was an adult, I thought the TV version was the real version. I didn't know that the TV version actually has scenes in it that are not in the actual version. There's some deleted scenes that are in the TV version that are actually really good. Like, uh, and so for me, it's like they should be included in the main version, but they're not here. So when I first saw the real version, I was like, wait a minute, is this the same movie? What the hell? Um, but it is what it is. So all that said, um, I'll, I will say this. I, as a kid, was always a bigger Freddy fan and a big bigger Jason fan. Like, I have way more memories of watching the Friday 13th series and the Nightmare series than I do watching the Halloween series. So I was slow to kind of take on the Halloween series. I would say by the time around when H2O came out, by that time I had seen all the Halloween movies and caught up on it um, around H2O resurrection time period. Um, But I was slow to warm up to the Halloween series. I didn't know the history. I thought that Michael was like a ripoff of Jason. But Mm -hmm. once the internet came about and I could research, it was like, wait a minute, Michael came first. (laughs) Maybe Jason's a ripoff. So, and now, I would say the last five, six, seven years, been more of a hardcore fan of the series, I would say. I've read books about it, done the research on everything, the behind the scenes, can't get enough of it. So, um, but growing up, I was, would you say, I mean, I I know in your case, I'm guessing you were a much bigger Freddy fan, of course, right? So. Yeah. Where'd you fall in between your fandom of jason versus michael were you bigger in the jason movies or bigger on no i was bigger in jason just because it's more action more fun to watch michael you need to pay more attention to because there's an actual story to it yeah oh yeah and we're gonna do a video comparing michael versus jason in an actual fight who would win so this is just more about uh which series were you more into as a kid you're exactly right there's a fun factor in the jason movies whereas the michael myers movies i would say take themselves more seriously as we'll see as we get in the series. But there's a time for both. Sometimes you want something more serious, and sometimes you want something more cheesy like Jason X. So they both have their place. Or like Halloween Resurrection. Or Halloween Resurrection, which I'm really looking forward to revisiting that one. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, that's on the that's on my calendar, you know? All I want for Christmas is, is Halloween Resurrection, you know? No, for Christmas, we have to do either Violent Night or the mean one if the mean one comes out soon enough. You can do that with yourself, with no microphone, just talking to yourself, and then it'll be broadcast to nobody, and nobody will ever hear it. So I, I think you should do that and leave me out. No, of it, you're so. doing it with me. Yeah. You're, uh, we are going to review the Grinch horror movie that's coming out this December, whenever the fuck it comes out. If we have access to it, I'm down. So, <laughs> Michael killing his sister. And this is obviously an iconic opening. You have the point of view shot of young, young Michael on Halloween night, going to his house, slowly making his way up the stairs after his sister and her boyfriend have had 12 seconds of sex. Since this movie, of course, we have, we've had many movies that have mimicked the sort of point of view style, basically. And 
it was there a little bit in Black Christmas, which was actually before this, but I would say this movie was more popular in terms of like making that a thing, like point of view from the killer. Um, a little, a little bit in Black Christmas. That's all we got in Black Christmas. That's true. I think what's make what made this interesting was more of the twist of the killer being a kid. So when you finally get that reveal of oh shit, damn little six year old did this killing. That's a little bit startling. You'd expect it to be some old white guy, to be honest, because that's the typical serial killer profile. <laughs> Wait, have you paid attention to the arm, the hands, the fact that he grabbed this little kid mask? Yeah, it kind of throws away pretty quickly that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, it would have been awkward if it was like a grown man's hand and then you revealed him to later to be a kid. You're like, Wait a minute, whose hand was that? <laughs> Who the hell? What? It's um, just like Pamela, Pamela Voorhees killing people with man hands. Yeah, right. This movie has a little more attention to detail than that did. You're right. Um, all right. So from there, so I I like the opening a lot because it is it's mysterious. It's just like what the hell? Like, are we gonna follow this kid? Nick, let me ask you a question. How did you spend your twenty? How did you spend your twenty first birthday? Because some people go out to bars, some people have birthday parties with their friends and family, and some people escape from insane asylums. Which were you? I was on a boat. What? A boat? Yeah, I was in the Coast Guard at the time. Oh, that's right. Okay. Got it. Okay, cool. I was on a boat playing with engines that I really should not have been playing with. And I didn't even get my 21st birthday until I was 23. Wow. So when it, that was really then your actual, that was actually your 23rd birthday? <laughs> Pretty much. What the hell? Okay. When I, when I was 23, I finally I went out to the bar and did 23 shots, and I will never do that again. 23 shots, you maniac. You absolute maniac. Just a bit, and they were all Red Bull, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, there you go, then. Okay. That is the, Red that's, Bull whiskey. Oh, okay, so it's still the whiskey. That's what I was saying. Okay. it was. Just, I thought you meant just Red Bull. Nope. Okay, well, still a maniac. Um... Well, that's cool, but I mean, a really fun time would be escaping from an insane asylum and going back to your hometown and killing people. I mean, that'd be pretty cool too, right? So. But I've never been in an insane asylum. Do you know what they were like? I mean, I'm sure you've been in there. Uh, well, first of all, whether I have or not, it's none of your business, mister. But truthfully, I have not. But if I was, I would try to escape. <laughs> as soon as I got a chance, well, I'd be out. So. Yeah, but the problem is then you'd go out drinking and then end up on the side of a road. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, no, I would escape, go back to my hometown, but instead of killing anybody, I would just go to the local Little Caesars and eat pizza. We're introduced, of course, to Dr. Loomis and Marion Chambers, who, based on this movie, she's actually in all the timelines, interesting enough. Hmm. Um, she's in this movie. She's then in H2O. She's in she, the second movie. She's in the new series. Um... But here she's just, uh, I don't know if it makes, based on her role here, do you think she should be in the new series? Because I don't really understand her being a part of the group later on in the new series based on her small role here where she, there's no, she's not only attacked by Michael, well, she's attacked by Michael, but she's not living in Haddonfield or having interac interaction with the other victim. So it's like, huh? Uh, so I just want to point out that she shouldn't have been in that movie in the newer movies at all, because uh, they did really pitifully for the legacy characters. 
oh yeah, she was like a nothing character and got killed like a nothing character with a line that made no sense. This is for Dr. Loomis. Like, um, click, 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 click. Yeah, if you're erasing all the sequels, I don't know if that line really makes sense, but okay. Um, but luckily enough for her, she escapes this movie with her head intact because Michael's grabbing her face and Julie just wants that car though. He's like, get out, my, get out the car. Like, get out the car. I, I, have, I have an issue. Um, two questions with this scene. By the way, it's raining. It's pouring down rain. And all of a sudden, you know, you see that the gate is wide fucking open. What what do you do? Do you stop, get out of the car and try to call somebody on this random pay phone that's in the middle of no, nowhere? Or go through the gate and go all the way to the hospital and tell them, hey, you have escaped mental patients. So I think there's two parts to it. I think that one thing is for Dr. Loomis, there was a shock factor of his worst fear is coming true. He already suspects that this is all Michael's doing. The other thing I would say is that maybe he's thinking that if he can call them from here to close the gate, that that will somehow make things better if he can get the gate locked. Um, but but then he still has to go through the gate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, they you know what they wanted basically was they wanted Michael to get access to the car. So they had to get Loomis out of the car and get Michael in the car. I'm surprised he doesn't kill Marion Chambers, though. That's already tells you that this is not like a traditional slasher movie. He just wants the car. So he's like, once she's out the car, he's like, all right, bye. I'm out of here. Well, well, I do have one more question about this car scene. Uh, why did Marion roll down her window? Oh, well, she... Do you mean but when she was getting... Um... When, when the... When she heard someone get in on her car, she knows we're the only person who, by the way, should stay in the car also for his own safety with a bunch of crazies running around. Mm-hmm. He, he, she should. Why, why does she just then roll down the window? It was like, oh, what, what's on top of my car? Yeah, I don't really think Marion's the most intelligent character in the world based on this. And then her and later, she's a fucking nurse in her later movies also. So that's the same thing about her intelligence. It means that she can. Take your temperature, so. But doesn't mean she's intelligent. <laughs> Get him, uh, she probably fucked that up, too. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, but this is all designed to have Michael escape, pretty much. And who taught Michael how to drive? We don't know. These are, these are important questions, but the man can drive, clearly. I, I know who taught him how to drive. Are you ready for this? Yeah. It was the Predators. The Predators. The Predators. They came down. They taught him how to drive a spaceship. And when Michael stole the car, he's like, ah, this ain't as complicated. So they so he let him drive. In fact, Michael is actually a predator in disguise. That's why he's always wearing a mask. That's why you never see him without his mask. That is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life, sir. <laughs> Me and the audience are all dumber for having listened to that. We're all stupider <laughs> right now. We've all lost IQ points. I don't know if you're being serious or not, but that was really bad. That was really bad. So. <laughs> Uh, You're welcome. Now, I want to say with the guy said Billy Mass, and he was like, at no point during that rant did you even attempt to make sense. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't an, an, an iodum of sense made in the entire rant. Uh, anyways. Oh, uh, rants are supposed to make sense? Yeah, I mean, the good ones are, yeah. Well, no. that was that was a theory slash rant, I guess, but okay. Um, I digress. Are theories um, supposed to make sense? Anyways, I'm going to go ahead and say let's... Oh, uh, we should probably talk about the fact that this movie focuses more on characters and suspense than it does the actual slashing and horror. 
Yeah, what's interesting is what's ironic is that this movie chur- this movie spawned a bunch of imitators. It kind of started the slasher boom, but all the slashers from the eighties ended up being much more less character driven and more just about the kills. Whereas this is definitely much more like Black Christmas in terms of being slow burn, more about the suspense, more about the characters. Like of any slasher movie I've seen. This is the best use of a, of a of a killer ever because Michael, even though he does, even though he's not killing people, he's he's present during the entire movie. He's always in the background. There's always these cool shots of him hanging out in the background, like it's all about him. Like I made the analogy, pretty much where he's somebody who wants to play with his food before he eats it. Like there's a thrill for him in stalking as much as the kill. It looks like. So that's why Michael in the new series makes way less sense because like in Halloween Kills, for example, he's getting off on just like a quick kills and things like that. But in this first movie, clearly his interest is not just like killing random people. It's in like stalking specific victims, playing with that, and then finally getting the kill at the end. Um, And that's lost on the sequels for some reason. Like the sequels treat him more like just a generic slasher. Um... But yeah, this movie is definitely more character-driven, especially when it comes to Annie, in my opinion. Not really much of Lori. Lori's just her typical uh, generic hero for some reason. She She's classified as one of the best scream queens, but yes, she's she barely screams in this whole movie, for one. <laughs> but I would say this, though. How, maybe she's generic for us, though, because... Now, since the movie, we've seen all the other Scream Queens. We've seen Sydney Prescott. You've seen Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. But when this first came out, that time she wouldn't have been generic because it just wasn't a thing yet. The idea of a Scream Queen, Scream Queen wasn't a thing back then. So I think for being like one of the original ones, it's fine. Um, if it was, ju- if the focus is just on Lori, this movie would suffer a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Because. She is just a teen. Now, I would say this. There's there's some good characterization of her being like a teen who's like obviously not cool and afraid to talk to boys and um, and that kind of thing. So there's some good characterization there. And then she does a great job with the ending. The whole chase scene with the end, she's perfect. Um, but this movie stands out from other slashers because you have Donald Pleasance. Um, the weight's really not on Lori to carry the movie. Because you have another main character who's actually a good actor who's like really like kind of carrying the movie until the end, basically. Um, most slash movies don't have too strong main characters, right? I can't think of many that have like um, a woman and a guy who are both kind of given equal equal footing. Yeah, definitely. Don, uh, Donald Pleasant brings a lot to the table with him playing as um, Loomis. <laughs> what the hell were you about to say? You about to say sen- Sensei? I so you about re- to say Sensei Loomis? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, Sensei Loomis. <laughs> He's here to teach Lori karate. Um, karate and swordsmanship. Listen, the man went to medical school, but, uh, right? You will call him doctor. <laughs> he spent years becoming a doctor. Either way, so he, he's pretty much the driving force of this movie, especially since this one, kind of what I have a problem with, with ends and everyone blaming Lori for certain situations that really wasn't her fault. Uh, Bracket, this whole movie is actually blaming 
Loomis for Michael escaping. Again, even though Mike Loomis tried everything he could to get Michael sedated and completely stuck. Yeah, I like I like Brackett's character a lot because at least even though he's skeptical as hell, at a certain point he just gives in to like basically, okay, what do you want to do, Loomis? Like him he's never seen Michael. He doesn't know if it's real, but he does at least get on board with the idea of I want to protect my town. So what do you suggest we do? So he buys in a little bit. He could he could have been antagonistic the entire movie, but like halfway through, he's at least kind of buying into it. And that's because Loomis is giving these speeches about Michael having the darkest eyes, the devil's eyes. So he's giving weight to Michael to where like he's building him up as this like crazy evil thing, not even a human being, like a thing. So. You know, you'll be, I mean, you better listen, bracket shit. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he he was a, a thing. He was evil. He was sadistic, and uh, he he apparently is strong enough to rip a tombstone out of the ground. So this movie, John Carpenter basically feels like Michael. He doesn't really give a definitive answer in this movie, or just in general, is Michael human or not? He's pretty much the essence of evil. So maybe evil is infusing him with super strength and recovery abilities and things like that. But this movie does a good job of not really revealing too much about Michael because in a standalone movie, the less you know, the better. And now if it's going to be a series, then the audience wants more information as we go. It's not sustainable. But in a standalone, we've seen it with like Jeepers Creepers. Um, that's my most... The, that's the example that comes to my mind mostly, but pretty much... The more mysterious and unknown the killer can be, the more you're actually afraid of him. When you get his motives and his inf- his motivation and you get like what he's about and all his backstory, you're really like, ah, oh, okay, this is not as scary now. Like, just keep him as a force of nature, basically. So, um, so is Michael human in this movie? I guess. I mean, I don't know. Shit. We don't know. I mean, I mean if it was a standalone originally... Uh, with what John Carpenter originally wanted to do, he probably would be human and dead by now. Well, as a standalone, it works very well because the idea at the end is just like, well, he's still alive. So it's like, was he human? It's like, by the end, you're just like, well, he got shot six times and he got up and walked away. So um, I think he's human. Uh, this I'm just theorizing. I think he's human, but he's been infused with some kind of evil that gives him slightly higher abilities than the common human being would have because he does have superhuman strength to a degree in this movie he's lift he's lifting guys up with one hand um i think his knife is more superhuman than he is <laughs> I mean, did you see how well it held bob to the damn wall yeah he must have stabbed the shit out of bob because like that knife was like wow that was a powerful ass knife you're right hell even michael was looking at him like are you gonna fall right um, I grew up in a neighborhood like this a little bit, so the movie was always scary me because it looked like a neighborhood where I'd be like trick or treating in. As a kid, I was like, "Oh shit, that's those are the kind of houses I go trick or treating at." Um, and that's what the movie does well: is it captures suburbia. Um, it looks like a small town where nobody locks their doors and everybody's just having fun and everything's innocent. Um, and the idea there, I guess, is that hey, this could happen in your neighborhood. Like, this could happen in anybody's neighborhood. This probably wouldn't happen in, you know, uh, Nick's, like, place in the woods, but, um, because nobody, even Michael wouldn't go down that road, but, um, (laughs) 
but uh, in most neighborhoods, this could happen, and that's that's pretty unique. Um, Do you want to talk about the deaths now? Yeah, well, not so the everyone ma- comes to see. I don't not I don't think so. Not with this kind of movie. Um, well, we had an off-screen mechanic death. Yep. Uh, which nobody really for some reason people really easily miss that because if you blink your it's scenes done and you don't even see the death. We've already talked about Judy, so how about we talk about Annie? Because technically, she was the best friend, and she was, in my opinion, probably one of the more likable characters in the whole movie. I think all the characters are likable except Bob, which we'll talk about. But, but, um, but I think Annie is uh, especially likable because she's given kind of like the meaty. There's there's two basically stalking sequences. I would say there's two sequences that are like like cream de la cream, like epic things in horror movies and it's the whole thing with michael and annie the whole build up to that and then the end with michael and laurie um the thing with michael and annie is like at this point in the movie we really don't know if like it's almost like her and laurie are like equally his victims he's stalking basically um I mean, she did tell Michael that speed kills, so now he started to slowly stalk them afterwards. Yes. And strategically, he does pick Annie first. Um, for whatever reason, I guess. But um, but yeah, I mean, we get a good... You don't see this in horror movies these days. You get a good, I want to say like half an hour almost of like him just stalking Annie... Like, that whole sequence is pretty long. And the best part is, I think, when she goes to the... I mean, I wouldn't do laundry at a stranger's house, but she goes to do the laundry in a back laundry room. And she, she gets, gets stuck in a window. She gets stuck there, and, like... The first time I saw it, I was like, oh, shit, because they've already established Michael's out there. So you figure she's screwed. Um, But I enjoyed that whole thing. Now... The death scene itself was pretty clever because I didn't get it at first, but the idea is that she went to the car, realized she didn't have the keys, so she goes back to get the keys. When she comes when she comes back to the car, she has the keys in her hand, but she instinctively just grabs the, the car handle and it opens up by itself. Mm-hmm. So she gets in the car and then in the car, she's like, wait a minute. How did the... She realizes then, but now it's too late. She's already in the car. She gets choked out and stabbed pretty much. But very interesting if she would realize, like, wait a minute. This door isn't supposed to be open. Well, at least another good thing about her while she's dying, uh, she was trying to get people's attention by honking the horn. Yeah, the problem was the car was, like, in a garage, right? So it's like it was probably the the horn noise got drowned out just by being in a closed garage. Yeah, what I would have done is turn the car on and put it in reverse and backed out through the garage door. <laughs> that that would cause some people some worry. I'm sure as you were getting choked out, that would have crossed your mind. So. You're damn uh, right. <laughs> I think you probably got choked out and stabbed. So. <laughs> uh, I, I'd have to be stabbed first to keep my arms from getting that steering wheel. That's true. Um, maybe the best thing about her death is just the aftermath when... The young Tommy Doyle like turns around the window and sees Michael carrying the body. I'd be freaked the hell out if I was a kid and saw that. Um, and again, that kind of stuff is kind of things you really don't see in slasher movies that much. Like having the angle of the kids 
looking out the window and seeing Michael. But really, no, of course, the adults don't believe the kids ever. Um, so I just got a new theory. Are you ready to hear it? Yeah. So notice how Annie's boyfriend's name is Paul. Yep. And then uh, when did F- Friday the 13th Part 2 come out? Like five years after that? Uh, yeah. So then after that, then Paul, now somewhat adultier, uh, becomes a head camp counselor at Camp Crystal Lake where he runs into and falls in love with Amy. You mean Ginny? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, I that can make sense. Don't you think Paul would be kind of... um? What do you think Paul is thinking when he finds out the next day, like, that Annie's been killed and all this stuff, like... He's probably thinking she stood him up at first because she did. She was getting in that car to go pick him up. Yeah. I'm kind of... It's not surprising that maybe that... Well, maybe Paul didn't have a car because you would think he'd maybe come and check on her at that point when she doesn't show up, but... Um, yeah, we never heard from Paul. They could have brought Paul back in a future movie and just been like had that connection to it, but they chose not to. Well, the, they put Paul in Friday the 13th Part 2 where he most likely is dead. Most likely, but we, we'll never know, so. Well, if we see a Paul in another horror movie, we'll know he survived. I feel like that ship has sailed, so. <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice, but I don't see it now. Um, so... Couple Linda's things. death. Linda's death is horrifying because if you put yourself in her shoes, she really probably thinks that Bob is the one killing her. Yeah, it's more sad than anything because again, she's just sitting there thinking, "Well, damn, I didn't. She didn't know she fucked up that badly in sex." Oh my god. Uh, no, I don't think that was that was Michael's thing, but. Um, it does show Michael's sense of humor, though. Michael is quite the prankster. The fact that he dresses up in the... Puts the... Sheet. The sheet on, but then puts Bob's glasses on on top of it. Uh, pretty brilliant prank there. And... Yeah, I feel bad for Linda because... Well, I don't feel bad for Linda for one reason, though, because... Her and Bob showing up to a complete stranger's house... And making themselves that comfortable there is just really weird. I know the 70s is a different time period, but it's just really weird that not even the house they're babysitting at, it's a house that a friend was babysitting at. And then also, the fact that Annie doesn't come back, it's just kind of, it's weird that they go, like, do all that in someone else's complete random stranger's house. Um, yeah, I'm sure they're fine. By the way, all the parents in these movies, in this movie, all the parents in this movie, what kind of late late ass party are they at? Like none of the parents come home at any point during this movie. <laughs> like, uh, what it is is they got cursed by Winifred and the other Sanderson sisters to dance until they die. Did you watch part two of that? <laughs> Not yet. A lot of people hate it. <laughs> well, that's weird because every single thing I've seen about that movie, everyone said it's decent. Or some I've seen said they liked it. Some said it's decent. I haven't actually seen anything that says I hate it. I'll send you some articles. I saw some things saying that it was like a travesty to the first one. So, um, 
Well, who knows? They probably brought Binks back, which would be a bad idea. I don't think so. I think Binks... Apparently, there's a scene in the movie where they're watching the first Hocus Pocus, <laughs> which makes no sense at all. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, let's get back to this now that we're done with our... You, you might want to make a note of where to edit that part out. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll leave it in, but... Um, okay, now let's talk about the car the car sequence with them. We both had a problem timeline-wise. I'll try to fix it. So, Lori leaves her house, gets picked up by Annie, and now they're driving to the house where they're going to babysit, the, the street. Yes. Now, when they start, they're in broad daylight... And, you know, they do stop to talk to Sheriff Brackett for a second because Michael has broken into the costume store and taken a mask and some other things. Which, how long has that damn alarm been going off for? Because he's had that mask since he hit Haddonfield. It's gone on for a long time. I'm going to assume <laughs> that the sheriff and all his people were at Doom Donuts, having some donuts and coffee, and decided to finish their meal first before attending to the costume store. Mm, they probably got some glaze, some jelly filled, some chocolate frosted. Pumpkin donut, man. Pumpkin donut. That's where it's at. No, no one, no one likes pumpkin, dude. Uh, you're the only one who doesn't li- who doesn't like pumpkin, all right? Pumpkin is beast, all right. I'm not gonna let you diss pumpkin, all right? If, <laughs> oh, I'm dissing pumpkin. If we open a donut store now, it's not gonna be do no, it's gonna be pumpkin donuts, all right? I'm just let you deal <laughs> with owning a store called Pumpkin Donuts. How about that? Why, why would you do that to me? <laughs> Make it force you to like pumpkin, uh, or 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 at least sell it. <laughs> um, just call it Halloween donuts, then. That's true. Uh, but yeah, but then we only make money during Halloween season, so. Um, oh, okay, so anyways. So the point is, they leave Bracket Store, and they're driving. We get to get this conversation. We see Michael in the background, of course, following them very closely, which they never seem to notice. We do see, but then we see it get dark. We see it get right. dark. We see it get dark, and we see it get pitch dark. Yes. So the question becomes, how fucking long were they driving? Where do they go? What state did they drive to for this babysitting job? Well, I mean, you you did say that they had to stop at Hooters for dinner, so... If they stop for a meal off-screen, that fixes all the problems because then you can be like, okay, that's why it's dark now because we didn't see the one-hour period where they were eating... <laughs> And we'd only see them eat dinner later on, so it does make sense that before the babysitting thing, they stop together for a bite to eat. Um, with that, that fixes everything. Um, because, well, no, well so Haddonfield, we, we're projecting it's a small town. So you should be able to drive to anywhere in Haddonfield probably within 20 minutes. Certainly not at a time period where it would go from complete light to complete darkness. Um... But it does seem like Michael follows them for a very long time in the car. And then should we mention that uh, apparently uh, early in the movie, we see that it is within walking distance from Lori's house to Michael's house. Okay, cool. Yes. Well, then we also see the fact that Tommy Doyle was next to her. So I don't know if his parents dropped him off or if he's also in walking distance. Yes. So... (laughs) I would imagine that it wouldn't be nighttime by the time they get to those towns. It would be more dusk. Well, then even more interesting is the fact that Loomis, of course, spends most of the night hanging at Michael's house, only to turn around and see Michael's car right down the street, parked. Yep, yep. Um, 
So now we know Michael's house then is obviously, and he says three blocks down is where, um, why did Michael take the car away from Lori's house? It might be something where he didn't want her to get suspicious and look out the window and see like a mysterious car there. So that sort of makes sense. It's not really mysterious when she's seen it all day. But maybe she wasn't paying attention. And maybe now she's more suspicious when she starts calling the other house and after that phone call. But you certainly have to find a time within the movie where Michael takes the time to drive the car to where Loomis's house, where, to, where his house is, park there, but then he has to walk back to where, unless he catch an Uber, which is 1978, so I'm thinking not. He had to walk back to the house um, where Annie was babysitting. Um, so time-wise, it doesn't necessarily make sense, but at the same time, you need a way for Loomis to know that Michael's in the neighborhood and to start running down the streets of where he can eventually stumble upon the house that Lori's babysitting at. Um, now, and that one's done by little kids. Right. Now, in hindsight, you could have done two things. Again, you could have showed them stopping somewhere to eat, and that would have fixed that. Or you could have had them walk to the house where they were going to babysit at. They could have walked together, had the same dialogue, but they're walking. As they're walking, you can maybe see Michael's car drive by in the background. And actually, that that's an, that raises another question just now. Uh, we've already established they all live in the same neighborhood. Why did they leave, go into town just to get back into the neighborhood? If they're driving to a further location, then of course it makes sense that they're going to the other side of town. But we already know geographically that doesn't make sense. Um, so true. I, again, I was just to show the hardware store hadn't broken into and have bracket meet Loomis. I guess they just wanted that cool shot of Michael being in the car behind them. There's a cool shot when Michael first parks where he immediately, to my surprise, immediately gets out the car and starts walking across the street towards the house. <laughs> like no, no fucks given basically. But I guess also it's Halloween. So Michael can get away with the mask on because you'll just assume he's a trick or treater. Yep. Loomis has an interesting dialogue with Brackett where he's like, Brackett's like, we'll alert everybody. And Loomis is like, no. If you alert everybody, then we'll, they'll have like cops on every street corner, all this stuff. Uh, I don't know. Was it a better idea to alert everybody? Or was it a good idea to keep things hush hush? We saw in Halloween Kills where, you know, unfortunately, sometimes, sometimes you get the mob. You don't really want the mob per se, but well, in in this case, since it's nothing like this has actually happened, and most likely what would have happened is everyone just got back in their house, and then you just get the people who are stupid enough to stay out getting killed. Right. Good point. That's oh true. yeah, the Halloween kills. Oh God. <laughs> Evil dies tonight. Yeah, apparently, it didn't. Um. It died four years later. Right. That's true. Um, so getting to the, getting towards the end of the movie now, the, after we've disposed of Linda and Bob, there's nothing left to do except for Lori to walk over to Michael's house, or I guess Annie's, whoever's house it is, Michael to walk, Lori to walk over to the house, which the thing about this movie that works is that this is 1978. So these characters haven't seen horror movies. So there's no self-awareness of being like, okay, that's stupid. Don't walk over there. They're in an innocent neighborhood where the doors are unlocked and there's no reason to be suspicious. So that's why she's so calmly walking over there. 
If this happened today, you'd be like, nope, seen too many horror movies, can't do it. But it's acceptable. And then, but yeah, but even today's standards, people still end up refusing that knowledge and go anyway. Well, then when they do die, you got to give some liability to them for not thinking twice about it. In today's world, I'd stay in the house and be like, well, should I answer my phone calls? Guess I better find a movie to watch. Toe beans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> especially with all the lights off in the house, too. I mean, that's just creepy. You're going to a house where all the lights are off? Oh, hell no. Yeah, you think she'd be turning the lights on as she goes through the house. Michael, being quite the practical joker, of course, has set up the bodies. So that way she can find them all at once. Now, this is definitely something Jason took later on. The whole set the bodies to be revealed to the hero. That's a trope we've seen many times, but that definitely is a clear... So there's a couple things here that you see here that you would see in future movies, which is that the hanging of the victims to where the the heroine, the final girl, can find the victims and be freaked out. You get... The Black Christmas did it too. Did it? I get a little not, bit. Not it did not, with the last not, two kills. Not in that way though. A little bit, but not in that way though. Now where it's like clearly, right before the killer reveals himself, he wants the he wants the final girl to find all her friends. It's a it happens in all the Jason movies almost. Um, That's because it's Jason. Because Jason saw Halloween clearly. Yeah. Um And then the other thing you get is the. Um, going to my neighbors and knocking on the door only for them to be like, nope, I'm not going to help you. Uh, <laughs> that's human psychology, of course. That probably is how it would go down. The neighbor looks out the window and says, nope, not going to open my door. I would be like, I'm not opening my door, but here's here's the cops for you. <laughs> well, yeah, a nice neighbor would at least call the police at that point and nothing else. Uh, so yeah, you get that. Notice how the neighbor also just waved her away. He's like, dude, I will break through your window, make you call the cops for that reason, just so we can actually get the cops down here. Yep. And then, um, classic chase scene here. There's nothing cooler than Michael walking across the street, and then she's at the door, and unknowing Tommy Doyle is just like, okay, I'll come open the door for you as he takes his dear sweet time. Um,. A lot of suspense there. I've just I've seen that scene five thousand times, so it's not suspenseful for me now. But when I first saw it, not having known what the ending was, I was like, "Oh my god, she's she's done for." I bet when you first saw it, it was in. Uh, I know what you did last summer. You know, it's funny that that chase and I noticed them are clearly. I mean, it's Kevin Williamson wrote it, who's a big horror fan, of course, and he put the he put Halloween all over the first Scream movie, so he's a big <laughs> fan. But that definitely felt like a, an homage to this, didn't it? The exact same scenario of the person coming to open the door is taking their dear sweet time. Meanwhile, you see the killer walking across the street. Rapidly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Even was, though the killer should have reached him by then, but just like, just like a, I know what you, you know, did last summer. They in, did it with this one, too. In both cases, though, what happened was... Killer disappeared. No, no, no. Because in both cases, both Michael and the guy from... Ben, ben Willis. Both of them, I think, what happened was at the last second, when they saw someone coming to the door, they went to a side route, basically. Because Michael's going to enter the house through the window, and uh, Ben Willis is going to go to the back of the building and come in from that side door where he's in the other room. So, so they both get- at, the, at the last second, they both take an alternate route. So I can understand uh, the Ben Willis. I can understand how he got into that place undetected. 
How in the fuck did Michael, at least the version I saw, show that Lori never left that bed, the living room? How did Michael get into that room without being detected? I think honestly, I think Michael got in the through the window um before Tommy Doyle opened the door. How did how did Tommy not see him then? Cause Tommy's rubbing his eyes. He had sleepy eyes. <laughs> Michael's a stealth he's a stealth assassin in this movie, man. He dove in that window like quiet as a cat. Because you're right, once Lori gets into the house, it only takes thirty seconds for her to look around and see the window open pretty much. So um so I think Michael pretty much walked directly to the window instead of walking to Lori. He walked to the window and went straight in that way. Um, and then we get, the other thing we're gonna get here, which again established, all the movies took this for later movies, is the idea of you think you killed the killer, but it keeps coming back. Yeah, the thing is, they did that, what, twice in this movie? Uh, let's see, you have downstairs where she pokes him in the in the throat with the, uh, with the, the thingy. thing. The thingy, the needle, needle, the needle, needle. The needle, needle stabber. Knitting needle, is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just gonna say that. Yeah, so you had that, and then you had when he breaks in the closet, uh, she gets him again. Mm-hmm. And in the eye. Hi. Yeah, and and that's probably the first signs where the audience is like, hey, this ain't no average human being, this Michael guy. This might be more to him because he keeps getting back up. Um, the well, icon. Luckily- the iconic setup in the background. That's such a good shot. When uh, Michael sits up in the background. Mm-hmm. That's such a cool shot. Oh, luckily Loomis comes in with his gun. Shoots him six times. Allegedly, somehow Michael takes a step backwards and ends up right on top of the awning. Yeah. Yeah. Now... Was there a ramp there or something? Um, I don't know. Because he didn't step upwards, he stepped onto it, just walking backwards. Are you talking about the second movie or this one? And this one they don't really, this one they don't really show. I don't think it's like just him. Oh, he just I guess falls it off. I guess, uh, You're thinking of the second one. The second okay, one it must have been the second one. There's a controversy with the second one about. We'll, we'll have to talk about that in the next podcast. Um, okay. Yeah, but I thought they showed it in the first one as well. Hey, let me ask you: When Michael takes his mask off here. I thought there was something wrong with his face. Apparently, he has a normal face, but like the way they revealed it, I don't know if it was the lighting, but I thought there was something off about his face. Well, Did, when I first saw it, I'm pretty sure it's actually darker to where you still couldn't see his face. Now it's it just looked like Nick Castle being trying to be as creepy looking as possible. <laughs> uh, Michael shot six times, but of course, when Loomis looks down, he's no longer there. Movie which, over. which you think sets up a sequel, but I mean, at this point, they had no plans to make a sequel, so they were shocked by any success success the movie had. Um, movies made for three hundred thousand dollars, so they weren't expecting to be like a huge hit at all. But to be fair, it was meant to be a sequel, just not the sequel we got. <laughs> yeah, they want to do the, the the anthology idea, which they which, which they would try out eventually. So. And unfortunately, by then, Michael was already established. Yeah. So for me, in terms of best performance, I got to go with Donald Pleasance because I feel like Doc Loomis has always been one of my favorite horror characters. 
Uh, a very representative, like Van Hesl- Van Helsing, is it? Van Helsing? Um, yeah, Helsing. Yeah, you always need, like, if there's a if there's a big monster or, like, a, a shark or something like that, you always have to have somebody who's, like, kind of hunting it or is after it or is informing the audience about it. And have it being Michael's doctor makes a lot of sense. And I just think he gives the movie a certain gravitas, a certain weight he brings to the movie with his speeches. He makes the audience aware of how dangerous Michael is. Makes the sheriff, of course, aware of that. Um... Some might say Jamie Curtis, but yeah, again, I'm with you. Like, I think she's fine in the movie, but she's not asked to do that much until really, like, really the end, I would say. Like, most of her scenes are just kind of light scenes, I would say. She does a great job with the end in terms of the chase scene and all that. Um, and But she would be better in later movies. I think she did a better job in H2O because she was just a, be- she was a more experienced actor at that point. Um, this is a seasoned Dr. Loomis, Donald Pleasance, who's been in probably like 40 movies already at this point. So, um, and he, interesting enough, he, he got paid $20,000 for this movie only. Only $20,000 he got paid for it. And he did all his scenes he did within one week. So he filmed <laughs> all his scenes in a one week period. They, they only got him for one week. So, and he's in half the damn movie. Right. Well, they, they wanted to get uh, someone else at first. Um, I forgot what his name was. Christopher something. Christopher Lee, I think they wanted to get. <laughs> and, uh, that would have been not, no. Yeah. So, and he he said he regretted turning it down now in, in hindsight. But uh, Donald Pleasance, they asked, and I don't know if this is true, but apparently Donald Pleasance's daughter liked the music and thought the music was scary. So, based on the music, he then decided to do the movie. But I don't know. It's either the music from Halloween though, or she uh, he liked the her daughter his daughter liked the music from an earlier John Carpenter movie. It might have been like a Solomon Precinct Thirteen or something like that. But um, but okay. there's, there's some story there where his daughter influenced him to take it, and then uh, but he wasn't gonna like commit to like five months, so they they got him for one week. So they filmed all his scenes up front, and then they filmed the rest of the movie after that week. Alrighty, well, I'm going to go away from the obvious of Donald Pleasance or Jamie Lee Curtis and actually say the actress that played Annie. I never caught her name. Uh, oh, uh, Nan- Nan- oh Nan- Nancy Loomis is her name, oddly enough. <laughs> well, in that, I think uh, I think she got married at some point because I think she, her last name has changed. But uh, Well, in this movie, she's Nancy Loomis. Yeah, so Nancy Loomis, honestly, she's a more fun character she, we follow her. We feel like I feel like we follow her more than we do with Lori. To be honest with you, and, and it's actually just so yeah. she she may actually have more dialogue than Lori in the movie. Honestly, yeah, it just, it honestly feels a little bit sad when we finally see her die, even though we see it coming, but we just followed her for so long. I think her dynamic with Lori is very similar to um, Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar, and I know did last summer where you kind of you know who the final girl is but it seems like the other one's more interesting uh so it's kind of their dynamic and then the whole middle part of the movie is following the anything which is the same thing with i know she did that summer with with sarah michelle geller so um mm-hmm. but i'm with you yeah she she does a great job i think just being she feels like a, a real teenager so worst performance Worst performance, man. I'll tell you what. Bob. 
Bob is just kind of stone faced. Like he doesn't make any expressions. His voice, his vocal tone never changes. He's just like very, like what's the word? Stoke, 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 stoic, stoic, stoic. Stoic, yeah, he's kind of almost like sedated. So I don't know. <laughs> like, well, there's that. There's also the fact that they get they made him say a line, and he tried to be funny about it with ripping off a little girl's clothes. Yeah, what the no. what the hell was that line? <laughs> I don't know what that line was. Um, it would have been funnier if it was Annie. Then it would be kind of funny, especially with the with how Linda acted with it. Because yeah. London made me give the creeps too. I was actually kind of happy they both died. It is kind of creepy. I gotta admit, no doubt. Um, but that's a fair point. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm gonna go with Bob also because you're right. It's kind of like I like all the other characters, but Bob just comes off as like matter of fact and like there's really no character there. So, or the magic knife. That's the best character. I ain't the worst character. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you could do a lot with that knife, right? So <laughs> apparently. <laughs> um, All right, best scene. There's a lot of scenes I like. Actually, they're all like very quick scenes, though. It's hard to say. Like, there's just like so many cool shots of Michael, like in the background, just like appearing out of nowhere. Like just him, him, him being in front of the bushes like that when they're walking. That creeped me out as a kid because, like, anytime I would turn a corner and not be able to see what was behind the corner, it's just, like, creepy. I'm like, oh, shit, what's, what if someone's hiding behind there? Um, overall, though, probably the whole end sequence probably still is, like, just an iconic chase scene. So I'd probably lean towards that, but there's a lot of little moments in the movie I love, so. Jeez, uh, me, this is kind of hard. Uh, movie, movie, unfortunately, feels kind of middle of the barrel for me. Mm. Not really any scenes I hate, not really any scenes I really like, but I would have to go with Bob's death scene just because it was funny. <laughs> the stabbing? It, yeah, I mean, sure, it's supposed to be intense. He's sitting there going through everything after hearing a noise. And then all of a sudden, Michael comes out of nowhere, pins him to the wall, and literally stabs him into the wall. Yeah. And then stays there, and Michael's little head tilt of, are you going to fall yet? It was just hilarious to me. Mm. That's fair. That is a fun scene. Just to see Bob get his comeuppance. <laughs> like, you say dumb shit, you get stabbed against the wall. Exactly. <laughs> and and you, you, I'm sure you liked it. Who's the Joker? Yeah. True. Um, let's see what would I change well we gotta do worst scene oh worst scene is probably Linda and Bob talking in the van (laughs) because that dialogue okay agreed so now what would you change (laughs) um let me think for me the main character I, I don't want to go that far. I don't think I would eliminate Laurie Strode. I mean, she is an all-time iconic character. I mean... And Annie could have been, too. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, Laurie's maybe, def- maybe. Laurie definitely has the more innocent vibe, but I get what you're saying. It's like, well, pers- just personally, personally, yes, but I wouldn't want to erase the entire series after it. <laughs> like, no, based we'd on just that. be following Annie more. Nah, maybe. I'm down. I'll accept that. I mean, I'm down with. I mean, it's your opinion. I'm down with the idea, but I don't. 
I don't think Lori's a problem to the point where I would... You're saying basically just make Lori the side character, pretty much saying. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, or maybe make Lori a little bit more energetic. Yeah. Well, that's a good opportunity for me to talk about the TV scenes. I would add the TV scenes, deleted scenes, back in. You have an mm-hmm. extra, extra scene with, um, with Lori talking to Linda, and then you also have Dr. Loomis like talking to the the board the council and like trying to get them to keep michael locked away um all these scenes are on youtube and then the tv version but they actually add a lot to it i would add those scenes back in to be honest okay well for some reason i don't remember them all that well i remember part two a little bit more tv version wise at least the ending yeah but i don't remember the first one tv i don't think i've ever actually seen no i have seen the first halloween on tv like I said, it's been so long. Yeah. Well, it's on, the scenes are on YouTube, but they actually add a lot to the movie, so. <laughs> I got a big nostalgic bias towards this movie for sure. This is probably my one of my versions of Hocus Pocus, the way that Nick is with Hocus Pocus. Um, but I also try to measure it objectively. I would say that it's hard to look back at a movie from 1978 and judge it now, because you know, we're in 2022, so you're looking at it with today's goggles. But I can see so many influences from the movie and the movies I've seen since then. So many things started here, and a lot of the times they weren't done as good as they were done here. Um, so I'm going to go high on it. I think that really the star is John Carpenter, his directing. The movie is very well made in terms of the cinematography, the shot, the shots he chooses, the approach of Michael being in the background the entire movie, not needing to rely on kills, just being slow burn, suspense. It's like it's, a, it's the best use of Michael. Uh, Michael himself, the mask, the character, it's probably the, the best Michael in terms of just how he moves, how stealthy he is, his intelligence. The fact that he puts the rake behind the door to keep Lori from getting out, again. Which he should have broken that down a Five seconds. Still a smart move by Michael to lock her in. So uh, he's just very intelligent in this movie, for sure. I would say. Um, so I love how the movie looks. I love the slow burn um, impact, or I love the slow burn approach to it. Um, and then I, I can tell why it's a classic movie because it's like so many things were created here that were then mimicked and imitated like a thousand times afterwards. And then Doctor Loomis is one of my favorite horror characters. He'll be something that I like about the sequels, even the sequels that I don't like. He'll be a part of that. What I like about them, um, the flaws, to be honest, I would say that are that if you're expecting like a more straightforward slasher, like you're not going to get great kills, and you're not going to get um, a lot of kills. So you got to approach it as like a slow burn instead of like thinking that you're getting like a Jason movie. Um, and then really just. There's some minor plot points that don't make sense as we talk about them driving for five hours, even though they're in the same neighborhood. Probably doesn't make sense. Uh, so it's a couple plot things, but I don't think anybody really cares about the plot of the movie that much. It's more about just the suspense. Um, oh, and also we should mention as well, the music. I mean, we all know the music now, but this is the first movie that has the music, and the music is like probably the best horror music there's ever been. Um, so we didn't really talk about that, but I mean, you have an iconic score. The score itself, even if the movie was bad, the score is so good that I would give it an extra star because of how good the score is. 
even if the movie is bad. I mean, that's how iconic the theme is. Um, so all that said, I got I gotta go. It might seem high, but I gotta go three and a half stars. I think it's one of the better horror movies of all time. As long as you're not expecting super slasher, but it's a masterclass of suspense, cinematography, um, build up, um, the score. It's again, it's one of the best scores of all time. Most of my complaints are minor, but it gets all the big picture things right. The fact that you have like Nick loves Annie, who's really the third character, but you have strong main characters with Lori, Dr. Loomis. Uh, most horror movies don't have that level of characterization. So I'm going to say three and a half stars. I'm probably being nostalgic, but I mean, I mean, it's considered an all time great horror movie. So I'm not really stretching myself. We're not talking about uh, Hocus Pocus, which is considered a mediocre Halloween movie. So <laughs> anyways, how dare you, sir? <laughs> so my final thoughts is the movie is suspenseful. The movie is entertaining it to if you're definitely looking for one of those movies that focuses a lot on characters and suspense, mainly the score is good. The kills are, you know, it's 70, what was it? 78, 79. Yeah. Yeah. So kills are about what you expect from a low budget horror movie. And this movie definitely looks low budget, but John Carpenter makes the most out of it with what he can. However, I will say this. I kind of lied to you about when I first watched this movie. Hmm. And, I, and this is going to bring my points down a little bit so I didn't really get a nostalgia vibe the very first time I watched it I was I was eight uh, my dad actually rented the the VHS oh okay popped it in started playing it and I fell straight to sleep damn the VHS so, I, wow. so I'm going to say this movie is not is definitely not a movie that someone with ADHD can get into because it <laughs> is a slow burn movie. Yeah. It, it is definitely a movie you have to sit, watch, and if your brain goes a mile a minute, it is not going to end well for you. So that actually takes my grade down just a little bit, and I'm going to actually give it a three. Yeah. I think that I think that if you're young right now, this might be a hard movie to watch because movies from back then, like the 70s, they did really take their time in general, right? So today's society is all ADHD, unfortunately, because we're used to like quick cuts and fast-paced moving things, but movies back then took their time, so you definitely have to adjust to that. Um, but, yeah, that's true. That's a good point, though. It's like a, you have to be willing to slowly get the movie could go, moves along slowly, so you gotta be on board with that for it to work for you in that way. Um... But sweet. And some of the sequels will have the problem where they are in a rush and they don't take their time. <laughs> so that'll end up being a problem later on. So, <laughs> Well, we don't have to worry about that now. And as always, folks, you don't have to go home. You do got to get out of here because I'm waiting for a Burger King chicken sandwich. All right, then. Let me stop this real quick. Oh, you got nothing you wanted to say? Uh, Yes. And... I would say that, you know, give Burger King's chicken sandwich a chance because I think Burger King's food is actually very underrated. You fail me. What? I mean, it is. You're supposed to say something witty. Well, I mean, that's witty. I mean, people underrate Burger King, so. (sighs) Okay, I'll say this. 
Um, if you happen to be babysitting and you're talking to your friend on the phone, your phone and your your phone goes dead or that your friend stops responding and the lights go off in the house and you're pretty sure she's dead, simply turn off your phone, put on a good movie and enjoy the rest of your night because there's no benefit to you going over and checking on her. She's already dead and now you'll be dead too. Why, Could why? you at least call the cops first? You can call the cops, be a good neighbor, sure. I mean, go that extra length and make that 12-second phone call if you feel like it. If you don't, pop some popcorn, put a pizza in the oven, watch a movie, and just get back to your babysitting. That's all I'm saying. So, uh, so I know not to trust Vic when it comes to saving people's lives. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, folks, I'm just playing. I'm, I'm, I'm the first one to run across the street and get my head chopped off. And I'm going to blame Nick because probably he was playing a, playing a prank on me. He had turned the lights off and stopped responding to get me over there. And now I've gone and got my head chopped off and it's his fault. So his prank's gone wrong. All blame on Nick Arcana. And if there's not a podcast next week, it's because Jeremy killed both of us. And that's also Nick Arcana's fault. No, that is your fault, sir. You moved somewhere. You came back. You brought him with you. It's your fault. I could have defended myself better if I knew he was there. Listen. Just meet me at the church with a katana sword, a rope, and some Burger King. Don't ask questions. Why do I, Why are we going to a church? Uh, don't ask questions. <laughs> We're gonna have a little, little extra, little exorcism, all right? Just meet me there in twenty minutes, all right? But why the church? 